The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. Think of this show in this way. Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern had a child, and that child grew up to have a podcast about building science. This is the opposite of that. Here's Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another edition of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Today we're speaking with Ed Kiesel. Ed's a builder in the Cleveland, Ohio area. He's with EKA Build, his own company. He's a civil engineer turned builder. He builds pretty interesting, beautiful, architecturally designed homes that also have high performance characteristics. Works closely with his customers. Doesn't do a lot of builds a year, but he works very closely with them and he's a design build contractor. So he's some interesting things to share with us with regard to how to build a super tight home using pretty much standard techniques. He's always evolving in his thinking, and that's what we like about him. So give a listen to Ed Kiesel of EKA Build. Today, pleased to have as a guest, Ed Kiesel. Ed is a builder in the Cleveland, Ohio area, and Ed's going to take us through some of the who, what, where, when, why, how of what he does and where he's come from and what he's interested in doing for his consumers, and his constituents. So, Ed, welcome this morning. Yeah, hi. Glad to be on the show. We were off air a couple seconds ago, and you gave me an explanation of how to correctly pronounce your name today and then how it really should be pronounced. Do you want to reiterate that? Basically, it's a German last name, which I think is supposed to be Kissel, and potentially could have been Kisselstein back in the day, but my dad's from Poland. So actually, the right pronunciation from the Polish way is actually Kieschel. But it's actually, if you look up Kieschel, it's a name brand of like a gelatin. I think Nestle owns it now. But basically, it's a gelatin, that, so it's thicker. It's kind of like a drink, and it's thicker, and it's a gelatin. I don't really care for it, but yeah, that's kind of the background. So the right way to say it is Kieschel, but most kids in growing up couldn't say Kieschel shell or don't care to say it. So it came out to being Kiesel. So I kind of go with Kiesel a lot of times, but a lot of people call me Kiesel as well. <laughs> Got it. We met through Nate Adams. Nate is a person who's been on my podcast before, and he's written a book called The Home Comfort Book. And I also have a personal interest in we're looking at building a new home and we want to build a comfortable home and make it as energy efficient as possible. But we're sort of wrestling with details. Nate hooked me up and we talked a little bit. So tell me sort of what your journey has been in the world of home comfort and building homes. I'm a civil engineer and with my amazing wife, we build high quality, architecture driven, high performance homes. I've spent over a decade in the field of civil engineering, have my degree in it, have my license through the state of Ohio to be a professional engineer. And always had a passion for construction, specifically residential construction. I love the details. The more details, the better. I love working with the clients closely, showing them what's possible design-wise and also building science-wise with their home and what they want to do and address. So back to engineering, I worked on large engineering projects, including the Cleveland Interbelt Bridge Project. That was maybe my career project for the engineering side of things or my career specifically. And that was over $290 million project. And I uh, worked with some of the best engineers in the country because when you're doing a structure that large and a project that big, you're pulling resources from the company I worked for, had over 65 offices. 
these guys that have expertise. So it was great and fun to work on that and working with some of the local engineers that I'm still friends with and hang out with still today. We pushed the limits as far as with cutting edge technology and the civil engineering, but still always in the back, it was always that I wanted to run my own business and build homes. My dad got me hooked from doing this from a young boy. I grew up in the building industry. He started in 1986. All my uncles, which were trim carpenters, they worked on super high-end homes in the Cleveland Ohio area. One of the builders they worked for, he actually built LeBron James's house. And then a few of my cousins continued in the trade and they do some work doing amazing carpentry work, including something that my cousin showed me. It was a while, probably actually a few years ago, but it really impressed me doing a basket weave wall. The wall was probably 10 feet tall by 20 feet long. And yeah, he was literally bending the wood through it and it was going to be stained and just look gorgeous. I didn't see the final product, but he showed me the in-between. It just looked great. So yeah, that's kind of the background. So what turned your attention to building science? Was it something that was just inside you and then you found it or you learned about it proactively or deliberately? To even go back further, so I was an engineer and I was a little bit tired of sitting behind a desk as I was an engineer working full-time doing that, always building houses with my dad on the side. But really it was like, ah, I wish I maybe went into architecture that I would have done that. And I actually almost thought that I was going to go back to school for architecture, but then it was a thing that looking at the schools and kind of the whole program, again, a lot of things would probably transfer. I wouldn't have to take, but it's still, architecture is pretty intensive as far as the schooling. And I would probably be doing a lot of things that I just didn't want to do or care about in the architecture field, probably more commercial or urban design development, not that I don't like that at all, but it's just not what I wanted to do. So that was one of the things as far as a background, but just, I always loved science growing up. And then kind of as I started building homes, I would say full time, it was just something that, hey, we need to get the details right because obviously you want to do right for the client. But then also down the road when there's uh, the client could be happy today, but then in 10, 15 years down the road, the details aren't done wrong. Now the wall's rotting out. So it just being an engineer, this is critical to me. And then as far as doing the details, that's all building science, getting the wall sections correct, flashing details right and everything. Always kind of hearing, not necessarily from my dad's clients or any exposure there, but just from other people, yeah, this room's hot, this room's cold. And it's kind of like, well, it is what it is. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, there has to be a better way. There has to be something else that could be done. So my own journey was more specifically my own house that I have 2,040 square foot ranch. It's a three bedroom ranch. Two of the bedrooms get hot and cold when they're not supposed to be. And so that was, what can I do to address them? And so that was the beginning of the journey. And so basically, I started doing research heavily. What could I do? Do we need to add more ducts, bigger ducts, whatever it could be? What is a solution to fix this issue? And now, actually, we have three kids. I actually just had one. He's our third is eight weeks old now. Oh, wow. Congratulations, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's great and challenging at the same time as if anyone that has kids, they know it's a joy and a blessing for sure. And then also a big challenge. <laughs> All of my kids are now in those rooms, so I kind of wanted to address that, and that kind of took me down this road. And I started asking HVAC contractors and people that I knew. It wasn't really the answers that I guess I was looking for. It's, well, it is, that's how it is. And things weren't resonating with you, your inner curious mind there. Correct. And then so I continued to do more research. And then online, I found uh, Nate Adams and Energy Smart Ohio. And basically, I called him over to do an evaluation. And it was, he came and looked at my whole house and did a 
blower door test and all that stuff. And I've heard blower door tests for a while, but they're state code, but no one was really implementing them. And maybe some of the better builders were doing them automatically, or they maybe did Energy Star. So they had to, they would have to do them part of the program. But still it was something like, oh yeah, you don't really do that. You build a nice quality home, but you're not really testing anything. And so after he did the evaluation, he told me something totally crazy. He said, well, your house is not that bad. I think it was just a little bit over three HCA 50. And uh, for not doing anything with air sealing, it's just, we actually used, I think it's called spider insulation. It's a fiberglass that actually sticks to itself. Yeah, I think it's John's Manville product. Oh yeah, that's correct. It's It's been a while now. That was in the house, but again, didn't really do anything for air sealing. But then he tells me, my furnace is way oversized by almost twofold. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, why would that even help to be uh, that much smaller? And so kind of down this whole process and understanding that and him helping me along the way with a lot of those things and just getting a better understanding. And again, the building science, tightening the envelope. And so that's what this started us. We started focusing more on air tightness for our company and to completely rethink HVAC in our homes. For the listeners that aren't familiar, 3ACH50. That's the number you get from a blower door test, correct? Yeah. So basically it would have been like what Nate tells me for an existing home. He said a decent number would be like, so the number you get from the blower door is basically if my house is 2000 square feet, if we got 2000 or around there, that's pretty good depending on square footage. So the bigger the square footage, there's a little bit more slop in there and you can probably look to him as a resource to kind of get more information on as far as scaling for that. So that number's multiplied by 60, and then it's divided by the volume of the overall envelope. So that's basement included and also the upstairs, anything that would be part of the enclosure. So that's that three number. It's based on the volume of air that the is turning over naturally, or actually with the 50 pascals of the blower door test with the house pressurized or depressurized. Mm-hmm. And the furnace ended up being two times. How did you discover or determine that? Do you know the process he used? Yeah, he did an evaluation. He was doing some energy model. I'm not sure what program or software that he uses now, but that was based on with a tightness and then also just the R value in the walls and the ceiling and everything. And just, yeah, him kind of doing an evaluation on that saying, hey, this is where we need to be at. And I think, again, this is going a few years back, but uh, I think my furnace is 100 or 120,000 BTUs. It's a gas furnace. And that's about twice as what he believes the load should be from the energy model he used. And actually, I think he said the load was about 40,000 BTUs for that furnace, but I don't think there's many companies that even make, again, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, as far as what equipment is out there. Actually, I haven't corrected the issue because basically having kids and being in a three-bedroom ranch, we were thinking to move, so we weren't necessarily going to spend the money to pull out the furnace and fix any of that. Right. So when did all this happen? Sort of when was this in part of your journey? You said it was several years ago? We were probably four or five years ago. And is that sort of the turning point where you really started to look at the way you build homes because of this personal experience or how did that affect your... Yeah, for sure. With the air tightness, I was kind of getting into as far as, hey, what we should have. But then a huge component is obviously the HVAC. And again, kind of going to HVAC contractors, most of the time there's always oversizing because, again, they don't know usually what they're dealing with. That's why we have to look at the house as a system. And so basically, if everyone's just doing their own pieces, parts, and no one's putting that together, that's what's important to us. And that's why Nate and Ted Kidd, they're important to us as far as 
to get things right that with the HVAC, we're getting the envelope. They're looking at it from the HVAC side and, and what we have to combine together to look at a system. So if you're not getting the house tight, then your HVAC is not going to perform what it's supposed to and the other way around. The two systems have to work together. The house has to work as a system together. Correct. I just heard that you're finishing off a home that is being built right now. Is that true? And you had it tested? Yeah, it's just under 3,800 square feet. It's a ranch and it's got, as far as the, a lot of the rooms are nine foot and then kind of the hallway foyer, more of the open areas are 10 foot. And then we have great room and family dining areas, 13 foot. So there's kind of a lot of steps and jigs and the ranch is obviously being that large, it's pretty spread out. I mean, with the garages and the veranda and the front porch, we're a footprint's over 5,500 square feet. So it's a pretty large project. And yeah, we got just a, a really tight number we're just under one ACH 50 for our number. So that's just, we're really excited about that. And one of the things is that the client along the way, so he actually lives next door to the house and he was looking at properties and then this one just kind of fit the best. And he was there for 25 years. He has a business down the road. So it just makes sense to kind of be in the same area. Everyone always kind of laughs or chuckles at, oh, you're moving right here. (laughs) Moving next door. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things as the contractors are working in the house and the doors open for sometimes, I'm not saying half the day, but it seems that way to me because I'm paying for the bill on that. But he would always say how even the house was and we're building through winter time. So the deltas between inside and outside air, it's pretty big. Pretty extreme. Yeah. And he always said that how even the air is. And I'm like, we don't have anything hooked up. I mean, so the new construction process is that we'll hook up the furnace when we need the heat and it's just pooling from the basement. So we have an air filter just down there and it's just pulling air from there because obviously everything's going to get filled up with dust, sawdust, and everything like that. So nothing was even done yet, and he would say how even it is just from the supplies, which, again, the supplies were blocked by these protection registers that don't even let all the flow out. But again, it's just to condition the space and not be cold in the house. And we always monitor the humidity as well when we're doing installs. That's really important as well for new construction. What do you use to monitor humidity? Spot checks or a data logger or... No, actually, I mean, just me going in whenever I go in and I just have uh, one or two sensors that just, they hold data, I think, for a day or two, and it just shows the humidity. And so for around 35 to 50%, you know, relative humidity, then we're in good shape for all the installs and the woodwork that we do. So that's, yeah, just something that simple. Do you do design all the way through build? Is it, do you design build full service contractor in that way? It really depends. So this house, actually another architect actually designed the house. And then we came in after pretty much he was wrapping up the plans with the client. And then we sat down with them. And then actually one of the things that when they actually sat down with us, they were not completely happy with the design of the house as far as the exterior. So we actually came up with some ideas. Again, me and my wife, we work as a team and kind of coming up with some things. So we actually, the overall structure was the same, but kind of the front and rear of the house was changed with kind of more of the focal points and we kind of change things up. We have an architect that we recommend. And again, the other architect that they use, he's great as well. And so it just depends on the project. I mean, we bid on other projects that other people have, they have an architect that they like to use and we bid on those projects. So just depends what we're doing. Yeah. With regard to this 3,800 square foot home, what point was the energy model done? Did you hit the target values or did you surprise yourself and go beyond? 
since my background and I think engineering and my just being so detail oriented, uh, you know, always my wife bugs me about it sometimes. But yeah, I continue to try to do better and better as far as the air tightness. And even sometimes that, hey, I'm chipping in some of my own hard earned dollars to to kind of achieve that and see what we can do. The badge of pride. Yes. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, we can definitely hit that number. And so the goal was we wanted to hit 2,000 as far as the blower door number. And again, Nate likes to use the number coming from, because volumes, people kind of go back and forth, what volume should be included and what shouldn't be, blah, blah, blah. So he likes that overall number just from the blower door itself, which makes sense. So we were supposed to be 2,000. There's still a little bit more ceiling, but he tested just a few days ago and we were at 1175. Again, if we get down to 1,000, he's going to buy me dinner. So... I'm going to look for a few more things. And we did normal construction. One of the things that we did on this house, we normally use the zip system. It's been, this is actually the third house we're using zip. And I can tell you what we did before on another house when we didn't use zip, but we actually did the insulated panel. So it's an R6. That may have helped a little bit for the air tightness, but again, that's not kind of the main part. You can still have issues even using the insulated panels. There's air sealing. You have the devils in the details. Explain the zip system, please. Basically, it's an OSB, I would say almost a regular OSB 716 thick, 4x8 sheet, or they have different sizes as well. And it pretty much has the weather barrier that's on the outside. It's the green board that maybe you see, and then all the seams are taped with a 4-inch or 6-inch acrylic tape, which is, the tape's expensive, but the tape performs really great. It has to be rolled. As you build the house, you're putting the tape on the seams of the OSB. And then you have to roll it to actually activate the tape. And it's pretty interesting because the tape itself, within 24 to 48 hours, it gets, I guess, I don't know if it's the right word, but in my mind, how I understand it is it continues to ooze in the crevices and the up and down areas of the OSB, and it makes a really tight lock or an adhesion that way. So yeah, that's a zip. So basically they have uh, 716, so that's the regular OSB, and then they have, I think, a half inch foam insulation, which is polyiso, and then a one inch and an inch and a half. And they might even have more than that now as far as that, but it's more of, as far as the structure, you kind of have to pay attention because you are nailing its OSB on the outside, then foam, then it goes into the two by four, two by six for the framing. So kind of getting too much foam, it's to me, you kind of have to maybe do a little bit more as far as kind of thinking about the structure. Is the tape part of the zip system or is it another product? You can mention brand names if you want. Yeah, it's a zip tape. Yeah, it's from them. And actually, there's probably other tapes out there that work. But the one thing is that you have to watch out is that you need to know it works with zip. I've used another product that's we did flashing basically for a concrete porch. So we need to do like a flashing so the concrete's not touching any of the OSB. So we would seal all that up. And so I used another product because it came in nine and 18 inch rolls. And so we kind of went across it. But as the heat hit that material, it actually peeled off of the green OSB. So basically in that sense, we actually had to tape the tape to actually have it hold up. So again, there was nothing wrong with that product. It's just that it's not going to adhere to that green material. So that's one of the things that it just makes sense to use a zip tape. Another product that I know works with it is a Sega tape, which is from Switzerland. And so you can get that out of a supplier. I think we actually got out of Maine. We had to get shipped over, but that's a really high quality tape as well. You mentioned one thing there, which sort of revealed your inner building scientist. You said the concrete should not touch the OSB. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, concrete is always pulling and wicking moisture all the time if it's getting rained on or not. I mean, it's just not what... It's like a sponge. 
Yeah, it's just a bad idea. So probably back in the day when we used to build long, long time ago, when everyone used to build with plywood, again, not recommended, but it wouldn't be as big of a problem. But now with OSB, it's cheaper to build with OSB. There's nothing wrong with it, but we just have to understand how to put the pieces and parts together the right way so we don't have issues. So drying of the house inside and outside is way more important than it used to be. So for example, if I was building a house on the lake or the coast, again, I'm not going to say not to use zip, but you may want to think maybe plywood and some other kind of liquid fluid applied flashing or something like that, that could be different just because it's especially more on the, just thinking like Atlantic coast, it just gets beat far worse than maybe Lake Erie. And maybe I am wrong about that as far as the beating, but I just think that Atlantic coast is a lot worse than Lake Erie could be. So you kind of just have to look, cost is always something to think about as well for the client. I think what you're saying is the materials you should pay attention to the siting. Yes, correct. And maybe more so nowadays because we're, the materials are being optimized, but there's a whole wide variety of materials to choose from. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, yes. So moving from the zip system to the wall cavities, what was the depth of the wall? I think you said, was it two by four or two by six in this home, if we stick with this home? So basically what we ended up sticking with the two by four, mainly because, so when you have foam on the outside of the wall, the issue is that you can potentially have condensation working on the inside of the wall. And then basically if the condensation or moisture needs to dry into the inside, if you have too much insulation, so for example, two by six wall, it's not totally recommended. So again, because cost-wise for this house, again, it's a fairly large house. It was maybe 900 bucks in going from two by fours to two by six, but that's not why that wasn't the driving force because the client could, hey, I want my, my house strong and it's 900 bucks on a project that's well over eight to $900,000. So that's not really that big of a deal. But basically it was more of a building science decision that we only want an R13 and R15 of what we did in this house was fiberglass insulation. Mainly it's for the condensation, the dew point. And am I recalling my knowledge of building science correctly? There's like a neutral plane. You want to know where that moisture is going to go. You want to know which way the drying is going to happen. Is that correct? Yeah. Or if there gets some kind of moisture that you have a section that it could, it's either going outside or going to the inside and everyone's happy and then the house is healthy and so are the residents. Yeah. A healthy environment. Speaking of that, do people, customers come at you and say, well, how are you going to help my house breathe? If you're building a super tight house, what kind of ventilation schemes are you using? A lot of people, there's still some of the mentality out there that, no, you still want the house to breathe. To me, I think that's the complete opposite way that you want to do because if you have issues with the house, say you built a more loose, more a house that could be breathable, right? That you kind of have air flowing through it more and well, you're not going to have mold buildup. But if you do, for whatever reason, how can you control it? And it's much harder to control something that is not a controlled environment. So if you can't control the air that's coming from the outside in, and I'm just thinking mold, pollen, anything that's coming through, basically you're in pretty bad shape. And then now you can't do anything. Well, I don't say anything, but it's the retrofit that is way, 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 way more expensive to do it further down the road. So what we do for fresh air at a minimum, we'll use a damper that basically the equipment we use always, we can turn the fan on low and that's how we always, the houses that we do are tight enough that basically we need to bring some kind of fresh air in and then we can have the fan speed on low and it's nothing that you can really notice or hear 
with the equipment and that's bringing in the fresh air through that way, just through a damper. That's just kind of more of a mechanical way. The best way is obviously to be electronic controlled that, hey, this turns off at a certain temperature, 25 degrees outside, or if it's above 80 degrees, that it basically opens and closes. So you don't want to be pulling in that air at those times. So yeah, it's a combination and it depends on where people's price points are. And then what we like to do is monitor and ask our clients. We're not doing 20 houses or anything like that a year. We do a few a year and we love to work with the clients and work with them closely. So at that point, we can check in with them. Well, how's the house? How's it feel? If that damper is not working for whatever reason, just on a simple level, because that's where their budget was, then we can always do something else after. So it's just communication that way and following up with the client. Where do you see the future for EKA build for your company? What trends? We have a passion for architecture, for design, as far as the house, the flow of the house, and obviously building science and building tighter houses and very comfortable houses. And then the byproduct of that is energy efficiency if you take care of the comfort. So our focus is not necessarily energy efficiency because I think you can do some really dumb things to make the house energy efficient, but the clients could be very uncomfortable in the house. So yeah, as far as where we're going, I mean, we do a very detailed house and we love the details, the more the better. Kind of where we're stepping into it is a realm of where people care and they're very educated or at least more educated than the average client in the sense that, okay, there's these products out there. What should we do here? Or why should we do that? Or kind of getting into a lot of these different building products out there and how is this going to help or is this the right thing for me to do? The last uh, so many clients that we've worked with, it's pretty much their their 20 to 35 year house that they're staying there for a long time. So they want to get the woodworking right. They want to get the building science right, the house being comfortable, and then also inexpensive to heat and cool. To run and to drive, yeah. So how do you find customers or do they find you? The customers come from referrals and then also, yeah, just people contacting us. They have there's certain projects out there. I think the best way is still, I mean, you can do all kinds of marketing. Not that we do a ton of marketing, but a little bit here and there. But mainly the best thing is referrals from people to say, hey, check Ed out. I mean, talk to him. And so probably the last two projects that we got the sales because when we started getting into Ted Kidd always mentions pain. So basically, how is your house? How is your apartment now? And is that okay? And so basically getting them to look at what the issues of the house that they're in now or apartment or anything where they're living and then have them talk about those things. And so basically, as we talk about making the house comfortable, uh, a lot of the other builders that they're going to, again, the other builders, they build really nice, high quality houses also, but they couldn't answer the questions that the client was asking them after I spoke with them. So again, we're working with educated clients that want to address certain things in their house, their existing house, and that's part of it. Do you have any thoughts as to how you can get more educated clients? How are people learning about these things as kind of the home renovation shows, the things that are on home and garden TV and other things like that? Where can you channel more customers? And I'm just talking the industry as a whole. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's everything. I think a lot, like it seems more and more this information is just, I wouldn't say exploding out there, but it's just more and more accessible. I think one of the guys that brought a lot of these things to the forefront was Mike Holmes. At least that's what clients tell me because they watch the show and they see and, and people want good quality stuff. They want things done right. There's certain things that, well, not everyone can afford to spray foam the whole house or anything like that, but we'll use spray foam here and there on some of our details, but we're not spray foaming the whole house and we get a 
a very comfortable, energy efficient home. Again, that's what I'd like to probably use on every house, but that's just, that's not where we're at. That's not where our clients are at. I think there's more and more information out there and good quality information out there. Again, the work that Nate and Ted are doing, just all the content that they're putting out. I mean, you have Joe Stebrick. Again, he's been around forever and been putting this out there. And I think more and more Matt Reisinger, another guy that's putting a lot of really good information out there. Allison Bales, just more and more of these content out there. I think people are picking up on it. And one of the things I guess for us is just that we continue to produce good quality projects that look beautiful and then also perform well and then our clients to recommend us. I think it's not a snap your fingers kind of thing and I think it's a long-term approach and one of the things that sometimes we'll lose uh, houses just because the other guy was in business for 30 years. As long as he's building a high quality and a comfortable home, that's no problem. But when that's just, oh, because he's been around for 30 years and then the attitude of we've been doing it this way for 30 years and people don't educate themselves, they don't look into things on everything, which there's a lot of clients like that, then they build a house and they're not totally satisfied. Speaking of you don't do a lot of marketing, how about you do some marketing right now? How do people get in touch with you if they like to learn more? We have an Instagram account. So the company is Eka Build, E-K-A Build Corp, just because it's most people don't necessarily know how to spell Eka, but yeah, it's a monogram of me and my wife's name. You can jump on our website, which is ekabuild.com. We're on Instagram and also Facebook, and we kind of do regular posts. And probably one of the things, we'll start doing some more video, I guess, educational things or just maybe pointing out, hey, this is a detail that we do. This is what works. This is what doesn't work or things like that, just to continue to educate industry professionals and clients. Do you do any performance monitoring or tracking of the homes you build, like afterwards? That's a thing actually Nate and Ted do that basically as they do their energy model, they spec the equipment we're doing. So with that process, when we get Nate and Ted involved, and again, it's not every project, but it's been a few. And so basically they work for the client. Again, I'm building the house and it's kind of, there's transparency there. There's trust there and everything like that, but kind of just for a conflict of interest, it's just that they work for them. And then I'm obviously implementing what needs to be designed. And then they're kind of standing back behind the client, like make sure that's done and make sure that's done and kind of going through. And then obviously the blower door number, the end result, that's important. You can't really lie or cheat that anyways. So as far as the process with them, they actually monitor the house later. And then again, which is, I think is pretty incredible when the temperatures get super hot or super cold, a lot of times they'll call their clients up and say, Hey, how are things going? How's the house? It's just a a constant feedback, which I think it's kind of unheard of. I mean, for me as a builder, that's something that I do, but they have tools that they actually track and actually they get login information to see when the furnace and the humidity and when the equipment's turning on and off and what time of day. For me, it's more of just a phone call and not necessarily tracking in that sense for my avenue. Cool. Very cool. I think we've covered a lot of ground here in this conversation. Is there any kind of points you want to cover that we might have missed? One of the things what we ended up doing before we did the zip houses, of course, it's more expensive, but it's not because you want more expensive OSB or because there's already the weather barrier that's on there. Because honestly, most carpenters tell me that zip and putting that together, it's more time. So we usually end up having to pay a little bit more in labor or some guys it's almost the same. 
but it's the air tightness. And what we used to always use Tyvek, again, there's nothing wrong with Tyvek, but it doesn't provide the air tightness that we're looking for on an easy level. What we ended up doing on a large house, a 4,800 square foot house, it was actually the first project we did with uh, Nate and Ted. We used 150 tubes of caulking and we basically caulked every stud bay on the interior. And then we also taped the Tyvek on the outside. Again, the Tyvek doesn't provide the air bear even when you're kind of taping things down. It just, it doesn't do the job. That was more of an experiment, what we can do. And yeah, we got a really tight house that way. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's a little bit more labor intensive on a certain avenue. I guess if you can get someone to do all the caulking and it's cheaper for you to do it that way, or just, you know, makes more sense. But I like the the zip product. But again, you have to think about zip differently because with the flashing and everything, the tape's on the outside. And so a lot of times you got to think when you're roofing, uh, you have your ice and water guard coming up the wall. Well, normally Tyvek goes over the top of it. Well, you can't just leave that ice and water barrier up against the OSB. You can, but it doesn't provide any leak protection. So if it's raining against the wall, it's going down the wall and then it's going right behind the ice and water. So basically that has to be taped. So it's kind of some of these details you have to think a little bit differently. And if you're paying attention to the details and building, anybody could do it, but you have to kind of think through the details and make sure you're doing things right. Or you, you can cover up the house and then have some interesting issues. It sounds like you must tap into a lot of learning channels, if you will, and resources, especially from the manufacturers of the products. I mean, it, you have to really learn the product very well, the, the materials that you're using. Yeah, if you're on different websites, I mean, most of the time the manufacturer provides really good information. Then again, there's so many videos and good resources out there on how to do things. Hey, this is what we do. This is what works for us. We're building this is how tight of a house that we're building. And these are the details that we do. Maybe not everything's kind of exposed or out there, but yeah, all the information's out there. And then also you can't always just rely on the subcontractor to do, we're using this system and then for them to know everything either. A lot of times it helps. And actually the companies are more than happy. Hey, we're doing a zip house the first time we're doing James Hardy the first time on a project. They're more than happy to send out a rep. They'll bring you donuts even. <laughs> I don't want to say that every time, but that's happened in the past to use their products and to get them. That's out there in the public now. You've done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and to get the details done the right way, they're more than happy to come out there and explain more than once if need be. I think everything's out there and it's great from the difference of when my dad was building, there's, you know, none of this information's out there. You know, a lot of the old timers, they had great, nice, solid structures and through learning, but the learning is definitely much faster now. And then also you have an educated client, whereas before, probably even 10 years ago, you can still make stuff up. <laughs> Today, no, you got to know what you're doing unless the client doesn't really care and they just want a house for what it is and the price is the price and that's all they care about. That's maybe a different story, but you can't really make stuff up to a client anymore. <laughs> it's level the playing field. So the topic here was the building a very tight house using standard construction techniques. And just sort of to wrap up that notion, time, cost, and performance. Did you have some targets in mind? And how did it go? You're saying just for this last project? Yeah, this last project. I mean, it's the one where you achieved better than what you expected. So the performance was better than expected. How did the time and cost come to your plan? There's always something that you're learning on every job, of course, and you're always getting better at it. So one of the things is to 
as far as air sealing to talk to the subcontractors, at least for this job, and see what their idea is like. Hey, this is my idea. What do you think? What would be cost effective? And then also have this solution. The main thing is obviously the, the newest thing to the game for most people, contractors, is air sealing. Of course, I think as far as that, definitely I wasn't fully paid for my time if you would just cut a sliver of that. <laughs> so some of that is a little bit extra and you kind of have to, same thing with some of the products that we used on the house. It was, I like to test test some of the products in the sense that, hey, we want a tighter house. Let's try this. So like we used, uh, instead of just a seal sealer on the top of the foundation for your plates to the house, we ended up using neoprene gaskets. So I think that was really beneficial. Obviously, there's other ways to do it, but I think that was cost effective that way. Basically, the carpenters can do it. You can't really screw it up and it's all there. Do you feel like you're opening the eyes to some of the subcontractors, opening the eyes to different techniques and yeah, definitely. I mean, there's definitely subcontractors out there that totally, they're in tune with all this stuff. They've been maybe doing it for a while, but I'll say most of the contractors, they don't fully understand, I would say, more of the air sealing side completely. Or that when they do it, they're not doing it to a level enough. Well, at least that, that I would say I'm satisfied with. So there's always some, hey, you did this, but you have to do this a little bit more. I can see, hey, this is open up here. You did that there, but not here. And kind of just, there's a little bit of time and education with that, but anyone can kind of learn this stuff. So there's two terms that we didn't mention at all in our conversation today, passive house and net zero. What are your thoughts on those two topics? Passive house, I would love to do one. So anyone listening that wants to do a passive house, I'm game to be involved. I'm actually going to a training. It's coming up in, I think, two weeks to do a passive house training just to kind of learn that side of things. I think sometimes maybe it's, for most people, it's too far. And as far as the cost and getting the details done correctly to meet what it needs to meet is usually too far for most clients out there. I think it's great. I like it. I mean, it's exciting just to see what you can do. Um, I saw a house up in Maine that the walls are 12 inches thick. They don't have a heater at all. They just run an ERV in the house. And that's up in Maine, colder than Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, yeah, it's just incredible. So kind of pushing the limits, that's what excites me. <laughs> Let's see what we can do. Yeah, as far as net zero, I mean, definitely, I think that's more and more people are going that way. I think that's more achievable that for most people, I think that makes more sense that you could do those houses or at least prepare the house in the future that it could be net zero ready. Not to challenge you, but what are the attributes of net zero ready? There must be like a short checklist or just a concept for that. Basically, I mean, the house could be I haven't tracked completely through all of the net zero as far as the checklist, but basically, yeah, that the house is energy efficient enough that, I mean, you can be running solar panels, you can be obviously off the grid. And that's kind of more of my understanding of it. Again, I don't know the full details of it. It'd be orientation too of the house. So, I mean, that would be important, right? To capture maximum solar gain. Yes, correct. Something I just didn't mention, I guess, but even on a house we're doing right now, that was important. We ended up doing an, an overhang. Again, it was for one room, it was for the family room, but even just doing that overhang there, you know, obviously the house could be heated in the wintertime and then uh, it would be blocked overall, those back windows, at least in the family room uh, from the sun so it wouldn't cook. And the ability to maybe put solar roof panels on, that kind of thing, solar photovoltaic. Right. And also maybe a hookup for an electric car in the garage as well, right? That may or may not be a requirement of that. I can't remember. It's been a while since I looked at it. Got it. Another quick plug for something else. The North American Passive House Network 
will be having their, I believe it's their national trade show and conference in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in October. I think it's around the 17th, 18th, and 19th. So if anyone's listening and you hear this in time, you might want to look into that to do some more learning and see products and get some more experience and information there. I think we've covered a lot of ground today. Really appreciate your time. I always ask my guests on the show the hot seat question. So you don't (laughs) don't know what's coming. What's your favorite quote, your favorite book, or your favorite movie, and why? My favorite book is the the Bible, just because it's truth and it, it changed my life, I guess. Not I guess, but it has. Thank you. It was a a very meaningful book to mention. So we're all set here. And any closing thoughts, Ed? Yeah, just continue to, I guess, learn more from others and kind of for us to work as a team, I think, on all of this and building science, do something that's meaningful to bring value to clients, just to continue to educate each other and help each other in this field. And so we can be living happy, healthy homes and that also look good too. So I think that's important. Yeah, there you go. The design element. So I'll be putting some show notes in from some of the resources you mentioned so people can pick up on the links if they go to the show notes. So it'll all get wrapped together. So thanks again today, Ed, and we appreciate you coming on and look forward to speaking with you in the future. And I'm sure we'll be talking offline too. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was uh, great to be here. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed listening to Ed Kiesel today speak about super tight construction using standard construction techniques as he builds homes in the Cleveland, Ohio area. Got to find out some of his resources and his go-to people that he works with and how he's continually learning and advancing his art and science of building high-performance homes. So this is part of our goal to building HVAC Science Podcast to help create better, more knowledgeable HVAC building performance technicians. And now I guess we're moving into the world of builders too. We want to help all these professions better understand each other with the goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. You can find other trade-oriented podcasts of the Blue Collar Roots Network by going to bluecollarroots.com. We're trying to do our part to help transform and professionalize the trades by filling the skills gap through training and communication. If you like what you heard today and you're not subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing Building HVAC Science into the search bar of services for Apple, the podcast app, or Android with Google Play Music or Stitcher. You can also listen in your browser by going to bluecollarroots.com forward slash building dash HVAC science. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the show, you can contact me at bill underscore spohn, S-P-O-H-N, at bluecollarroots.com like to close today with a thought. I think this integrates well into what Ed was speaking about today. This is a quote from Steve Jobs. Design is not just what it looks like and feels like. Design is how it works. Hope you all have a great day and look forward to having you back again to listen to more of the Building HVAC Science podcast. (music) 